Well, good morning again. I am excited to be able to share with you from God's Word today. Uh, if you would, look inside your order of service. There's an outline in there. Uh, when I pastored, I used to always call that the listening, my listening guide. Uh, and I've probably said this in here before, but my mom used to always tell me that the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. So uh, I would... Uh, encourage you to write down, take notes, uh, so you can go back and, and review anything that uh, we might be studying today. Let, let me go ahead and sort of give you a disclaimer. Just as Jesus was filled with grace and truth, you're going to hear a pretty steady diet of truth and grace today. So I want to just go ahead and let you know that up front and just say also that I'm not pointing my finger at you without the recognition that I have three fingers pointing back at me, okay? So we're in this together. I think God has for something for us to learn today. I would typically have been saying about now, why don't you take your Bibles out and turn with me to a particular passage because 99.9% .9 of the time when I teach, I teach exegetically, Today, we're going to look at this from a little bit higher view. Today, we're going to look at this a little bit more from a 50,000 feet view about what God's Word has to say about the heart. So you see the title and the outline, it's called The Heart Condition. I've always been amused and amazed at how God gives you an idea for a message, you can be riding down the road, it can be a billboard, it can be a song you hear, it can be something that your wife says to you, it could be something that your kids or grandkids did. In this case, it was in this room on Monday, Thursday night. The Thursday night before Easter, we were having the live dramatization of the Lord's Supper. If you missed that, you missed an incredible blessing. If we do it next year, please come back. And it was amazing how each one of the apostles around Jesus did these monologues about Jesus, how Jesus had impacted his life, how Jesus impacted the culture, sort of told their story. And so I'm rocking along, just listening, enjoying it, just thinking about what was happening in the first century. And then Sam Jones was playing Simon the Zealot, and he's in the midst of his monologue, and Susan's sitting right next to me, she's sitting way over there. You want to come up here and sit right next to me? No, no, no. She, she hates the limelight, so anyway. So she's sitting right next to me, and, and Sam says this, he being Jesus, has shown me that the conquest of the heart is the only true, sincere, and lasting conquest. Let that rock around for a second. Now, admittedly, I don't remember anything that's, that was said that night, but this one sentence has been all over me. As I've thought about this conquest, what is it that we as Christians should be trying to defeat? The conquest of the heart is the only true, sincere, and lasting conquest. So at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters, right, is the condition of our heart. I believe that's true. I believe the Bible speaks all about that. I found myself in 1 Samuel 
chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about King Saul. But I want you to look carefully, and this is noteworthy, and I would encourage you to write this down. I would encourage you to go back and look at this, write it in your notes. I actually have it bolded in my notes because it says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Wow. No more true statement has ever been made. And I know this is dangerous to say at the beginning of a message, but let me just tell you, if you come away with that one truth, it would have been worth the price of admission. Because the Lord sees not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance. Would you agree with me about that, church? The Lord looks on the outward appearance. I'm sorry, the culture we live in looks on the outward appearance. Man, we live in this culture that's all about, you know, you've got to be good looking. You've got to be beautiful. You've got to have brown skin. You have to have a, an athletic skinny body. You've got to have the coolest clothes and the whitest teeth. And you've got to drive the most awesome car. You've got to live in the best neighborhood. You've got to have the best job. You've got to have going on the best vacations. Is that not our culture? I mean, our culture is all about the mask. Our culture is all about what do you look like on the outside when people that I have counseled are literally dying on the inside? Because the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what, church? The heart. So let me just go ahead and get this out of the way right up front. This message is not about our physical heart. So you can write that down. This message is not about our physical heart. It is about our spiritual condition. Not about our physical heart. It's about our spiritual condition. Because listen to me carefully. If Jesus tarries... Every one of us in this room, our heart is going to stop. Every one of us in here were born moving toward death. Wow, that's become very apparent to me over the last 10 days. I'm reminded uh, on Thursday, 10 days ago, May the 16th, a sweet man. If you could only have known Jack Grenade, he was 75 years old. He was the chairman of the pastor search committee that called me to Day Spring Baptist Church in Mobile. If you looked up in the dictionary, a servant heart, a servant leader, Jack's picture would be there. Unexpectedly, his heart stopped. On Monday of this past week, my 57-year-old first cousin, Ken Lavender, his heart unexpectedly stopped. On Thursday, my, my administrative assistant at 
at Spring Hill Baptist Church, when I was the college and singles pastor there, Jean Gaston, unexpectedly, her heart stopped. So literally, just in the last 10 days, three people I'm close to. Now, I know some of you are looking around and going, well, David, they're old. Let me tell you, they're not as old as they once were. And you know, I rem- I'll never forget 12 years ago when my 37-year-old brother's heart stopped in a car wreck. You may be going, well, David, why so serious? Why so morbid? Do you know if we were to start a clock right now and let it run for 24 hours and come back at this very moment that 175,000 people in the world will die. That's two people every second. Why does it matter? It matters because eternity hangs in the balance. It matters because we're designed to exist forever. It matters because we are sojourners on the earth. We are here temporarily and we are just passing through. And what we do here is going to make a difference in what happens there. So when we think about the heart, I don't want us to be thinking about this physical heart that will stop. I want us to be thinking and talking about our spiritual condition. So in the Greek, uh, the word is cardia. The word cardia in the Greek, that's the Greek word for heart. So what does it mean? It means our thoughts, our feelings, our mind. It also means the middle. In the Hebrew, it adds the words inner man and will. So the heart, when the scripture talks about the heart, it's not talking about this muscle that's pumping blood. So when the scripture talks about the heart and the mind, it's talking about our thoughts, our feelings. It's talking about our inside, the inner man, the will. It's talking about those things. So in, in response to that and in relation to that and in context with that, there are three heart conditions that I believe that jumps out of the pages of Scripture that I want to talk with you about today. Three heart conditions. The first is this, a dead heart. A dead heart. Now realize we're talking about spiritual things here. When I say a dead heart, Paul describes that for us in Colossians to his letter to the church at Colossae, to the Ephesians in his letter to the church in Ephesus. So in Colossians 2.13, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses. Let me stop there a minute now. So he's writing to believers. So he's writing about their past condition. He's saying you are alive now, but you were before Christ dead in your trespasses and sin. And you're also were in a state of uncircumcision of your flesh because there is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. So he goes on Ephesians 2.1 and he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once 
walk. Now, we should always ask ourselves the question is, who is Paul writing this to? He's writing it to believers. He's writing it to Gentiles because most biblical writers in the New Testament would have called a Gentile someone who was uncircumcised. So he's writing this mainly to Gentiles. He's writing this description of unbelievers who were sinners by both nature and by practice. So let me just, with the greatest amount of grace and truth that I can muster to you today, if you're in this room and you've heard the gospel preached or presented or told to you, and you're not a believer, that responsibility falls completely on you. Jesus has already done the work. If your heart today is dead, if you're not a believer in Jesus today, that is your choice. That is your responsibility. It's not your mama's. It's not your daddy's. It's not your brother's. It's not your friend's. Jesus died for you. The gospel has been shared with you. And at this point, you are responsible for the outcome of that decision. Now, you may be going, well, David, how did I, I mean, show that to me biblically. Okay, in Romans chapter two, verse five, Paul writes, but because of your hard and impenitent heart. Now that word impenitent in the Greek means refusal to repent. So I want you to catch this in connection with every transformational decision, there is repentance connected to that person coming to salvation. So Paul is saying, but because of your hard and unrepentant heart, look at this, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judge, righteous judgment will be revealed. So understand, if you're lost today, you're in that lost condition because you've chosen to be in that lost condition. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to write this down. A lost unsaved person is someone who has allowed themselves to be overthrown. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you guys to know that God loves you so much. I love to hear Pastor Kenneth say, I love you, but God loves you more. Because God loves us like no other being. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross in your place and my place so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, guess what? 
One day I'm coming after you. The only way that happens, the only way to be absent from the body and present with the Lord is through the receiving of the gift of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. When you say no to the gospel, you're thwarting God's plan for you. He's made it available. There are those that might would say, well, David, you know, it's God who condemns. Let me just take you to um, a really great verse that we often miss. Because all of us can quote John 3, 16, and it's an amazing verse. I love the verse. But there's a verse that comes right out of that in verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. God sent Jesus into the world to save the world. Wow. The good news I have for you today is that the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that today can be the day that you go from death to life. Those, ladies and gentlemen, those are, those are shouting words. That's not just the good news. That's the great news. Wow. So how do we do that? One of my favorite verses is Romans 10, 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your what, church? Your heart. That God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Wow. It's clear in the scripture that those who are outside of the faith, who are non-believers, that there is none righteousness in them, no, not one, that they are dead in their trespasses and sin, but Jesus came to give you life, to give it everlasting and to give it abundantly. The second heart condition, and I want you to write this down, is a blocked heart, a blocked heart. You know, there are a lot of people in America who've had stents put in. As a matter of fact, and this stat may blow you a little, blow your mind a little bit, but uh, last year in America, over 2 million people had stents put in their hearts. It was funny, I was talking to Mike West last week. Mike's a um, he's our Sunday school teacher, one of our Sunday school teachers, and uh, he's a deacon here. And uh, Mike is just an incredible uh, man. And uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he had to have two stents put in his heart. Matter of fact, they found one of the main arteries to his heart was 99% blocked. Now, I'm thankful that we have the medicine that we have today. And I realize how serious a situation is when someone's heart's 99% blocked. But let me just say to us as the church, that doesn't hold a candle to spiritual people, believers and followers of Christ, whose hearts are blocked by the things of this world. Doesn't hold a candle. 
Yes, the physical can take your physical life, but I want you to understand being spiritually blocked can also kill your witness for the Lord. Paul wades in and talks about this as he, as he writes to the church at Corinth because there was ever a church that had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It was those in Corinth. And he said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. I'm often asked, David, as you travel the world and you work with church planters and these indigenous leaders, these people who are putting their life on the line for the gospel, what's different? What's different in them and us? And my response is always the same. They're biblical literalists. They read the Bible. They believe the Bible. They live out the Bible. They are different, different, different from the world. They look nothing like the world. I'll, I didn't share this story in the first service. It just came to me, but I want to share it now. I was in India back in 2011 or 2012. And I was getting ready to preach in a house church there in India. And the pastor came up to me and we were getting ready to sort of get ready for the day and to pray. And I asked the pastor, I said, pastor, will there be any lost people in the service? I never forget what he said. He said, oh, pastor, no. Why would we invite the leaven into the dough? He said, the church, we're the body. We're the called out ones. We come together to study God's word. We come together to do life together. We come together to do as James says and to confess our sins one before another. We come together to sharpen us so that we can go out and share the gospel so that we can go out and be salt and light. We can go out in the midst of death and darkness and be light and life. Man, when I look at the statistics and I see that we're, we're divorcing at the same rate as the world, when I look at the statistics, even when I taught on alcoholism and uh, our hot topics on on Wednesday night, and I saw the statistics that said mainline Christian churches, you know, level of drunkenness is the same as the world. Alcohol consumption is the same. We slander the same way. We gossip the same way. We run after money the same way. We run after power the same way. We run after position the same way. You want to know why we're not moving the needle in our country? Because when the lost people look at us, they don't see anything different. One of the things that the Lord gave me this week as I was preparing for this, and I realize, guys, when I say I'm pointing my finger, it's pointing back at me, okay. So we're in this learning curve together. 
So Jesus just revealed to me, I am the bridegroom and you, the church, are my bride. When you have any part of you in the world, you've just become an adulterer. And I rocked back on my heels and I went, no. And then Jesus' brother, James, says in 4-4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That word enmity means hostile towards. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Guys, we can't have feet in both places and not have a walk that's making a difference in the kingdom. So I want you to write this down. A Christian who has little to no fruit have allowed themselves to be overtaken. Overtaken. For those of you who are dead in your trespasses and sin, you've been overthrown. For those of us who are walking some inside Christendom and some inside the world, we've been overtaken. So how do we keep our hearts from being there? I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God showed me something new in this verse because typically when I, uh, when I study this verse and teach this verse, because it's a two-edged sword, it opens both ways. It lays open us it lays open our life. It lays open our strengths. It lays open our weaknesses. It lays open our successes. It lays open our failures. It lays open those things about us. But one of the things that God revealed to me this week was, hey, listen, it also lays open who I am. It lays open my character. It lays open my attributes. It lays open my plan. It lays open the roadmap for you to follow. It lays open and gives you this, this trackage to run on. It's the, it's, it lays open and gives us the plumb line through which to measure everything in our life. So the fact that it cuts both ways it also lays open both ways. It shows us the things of God, the righteousness, the perfection, the holiness of God, and it shows where we are, who we are, how we're living out the scripture. So does what you practice live up to what the word teaches? I can't talk about this ever without Romans 12 too, because it says, do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed in the Greek means pressed into its mold. So we as Christ followers are not to allow Satan and his demons and that world system to press us who are believers into its mold but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, your heart, 
Remember, interchangeable, mind, heart. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God, that's the only source we have to show us that. When we do that, maybe I should say if we do that, we're able to keep your heart with all vigilance, the writer of Proverbs says, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me just say to you if, you, if you don't do word study, you're missing out on the depth of scripture. Because when you study the biblical language, I mean, there is so much lost in translation. Now I'm thankful that we have it in the English but we lose so much. This word vigilance in the Hebrew is the word mishmar. Mishmar means a place of confinement. It means a jail. It means a prison. It means to put something behind bars. So what the writer of Proverbs is saying, take your heart and incarcerate it. Put it in confinement. Put it in jail, put it in prison, put it in a place where it can be protected. Guard your heart, watch over your heart, protect your heart. If you do, then the third thing is you can have a healthy heart. You can have a healthy heart. Now we got this a little bit out of order on your outline, I apologize for that, but I wanna start with you filling in the blank that says positional, I'm sorry, that says there is a huge difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. There's a huge difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Now, we're gonna dive down into some deep truth here, okay? Because the truth always sets us free. And so it's very important for us to realize there are really three stages of sanctification. This is all connected as we land the plane of this message. So you may go, well, David, what is positional sanctification? Here we go. I want you to write this down. Positional sanctification is when a person is saved from the penalty of sin. So when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you were forgiven from the, the penalty of sin. Now, here's the unfortunate part, particularly with Christians in the West. It's where believers stay many times. When Paul says you're still living on milk when you ought to be living on the meat of the word, the truth of the matter is he's saying to them, you're still living in positional sanctification. You are, you've done just enough to miss hell and you're doing nothing else for the kingdom. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people that I know and have observed that says, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm happy with the fact that I'm covered and I'm going to be in heaven and that's where it starts and that's where it stops. Listen, that is not what scripture teaches. 
Scripture says we're to move forward. We're to be progressing as believers. We're to be maturing as believers. We're to be growing in believers. We're to be running after righteousness. We're to be running after holiness. We're to be running after the will and call of God. So progressive sanctification is when a believer is saved from the practice and power of sin. It's where God wants us. Listen to me, church. Do you realize as a follower of Jesus, you can speak directly to Satan and he has no other recourse but to flee from you? You know what? You wouldn't know that if you weren't studying the word. You wouldn't even know what he looks like. You wouldn't even know what's coming your way. You don't even understand. What do you mean the, the battles we fight are not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of the earth? You don't even know that if you're not in the word. That's why it's progressive. We can overcome Satan as followers. We can speak to him. We can know the truth. We can, through the power of prayer, through submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, by asking other people to intercede on our behalf, we can say no to sin, church. What do you think Jesus was talking about when he said to be salt and light? What do you think he was talking about it when he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out? If your right hand causes you to sin, to cut it off? You think he's about talking about self-mutilization? No. He's talking about the seriousness of sin for the believer. And that we have all the tools available to us. So the final sanctification, and I don't have time to talk about this, but the final sanctification is when a believer is saved from the presence of sin. Now, let me tell you what that is, y'all. That's heaven. I'm asked often, David, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And my answer is always the same. The battle between the flesh and the spirit is over. And there's no more pain. And there's no more suffering. And there's no more heartache. And there's no more death. Wow. So what does it look like? What, what does a person look like that has a healthy heart? Look at Romans 6 verses 17 through 18 with me. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Let me stop there. Here's Paul again writing to believers. So he wrote to the believers in Colossians. In Colossians. He wrote to the believers in Ephesus. Now he's writing to believers in Rome and he's describing their past experience. He's describing their past condition. He's, he's, he's talking about their lostness, what they were like before they met Christ. That you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of what church? You're not really sure about that, are you? Slaves of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. So how did you get that? Did you earn that? Did you get that on your own? I, I, I love, 
what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians, in, in chapter 5, verse 21, it's not on the screen. It says, it says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that, listen carefully, in him we might become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. When we repent and we come to him under salvation, we start this journey, this process in him. He gives us righteousness. I want you to write this down. A Christian running after righteousness and holiness always becomes an overcomer. An overcomer. I love what John writes about this. He says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven from Revelation saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered. Some translations overcome, and they have overcome him, Satan, and his system by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. At the first of the month, we had two of our Kenyan pastors that stayed with us in our home. And uh, Paul Karani and Hussein Abdi are their names. Uh, Hussein was actually here back in August as a part of uh, our ministry, Dulas Partners, a part of our 10-year celebration. And uh, Hussein was here in August. There was 200 people at that event. People got to meet him and talk to him and share with him. And listen, whenever you, miss, whenever you meet a missionary from the field, don't you think for one second that their life is anything like yours or like ours? Because he went home and when he got home, he was contacted by the imam of the, of the, of the, the mosque that he grew up in. His father was an imam. He was being trained to be an imam. He was a Muslim evangelist and God saved him. His family burned all of his things, tried to kill him. We had to move him like nine hours inland to get him away from his parents. But when he got back in August, he got this call that said, we want you to come back to your mosque and we want you to be a defender of Christianity and the Bible. We're going to debate the Bible and Christianity and the Quran and Islam. So let me ask you all, do you think that'd be a pretty dangerous place to be? How many of you would have been willing to go? He went very uh, much under the control of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. He was the apologist of all apologists. There broke out a riot fighting going on inside the mosque. Matter of fact, he had two nights at our house that he couldn't sleep because during that altercation that they had stomped on his back and he was still having trouble with his back, they dragged him out into the street and they beat him. 
has a big old scar on his shoulder where he got cut with a knife and they were killing him when the police showed up, which is a miracle because Muslim police usually don't enter into Muslim riots. And God entered in through the police and saved Hussein's life and he's at our house. And I asked him, I said, Hussein, I've never asked this question before, but what's going through your mind as you were being beaten? Because he's been beaten multiple times. He's been in prison multiple times. What's going through your mind as you're being beaten? He said, joy. I said, say what? He said, joy. He said, because I counted all joy that I was beaten the way my Jesus was beaten. I counted all joy because Jesus said, blessed are those of you who are persecuted for my name's sake. He said, Pastor David, this is not my home. I am a sojourner who's passing through here. I am trying to be salt and light in the face of men who are walking in darkness. And I am trying to bring them the light, even if it costs me my life. So what kind of heart do you have today? You may have a dead heart today, but the good news is you can go from, from death to life today. You may go, man, David, I've got so much of the world inside of me that I need a spiritual stint to get the flow that God has flowing back into my life to where I can be salt and light. I can share the reason for the hope that I have, which is in Jesus. I can move the needle of the gospel further and faster.